Anatomy and emotions were never supposed to go together. Things changed when I was studying in a Dunkin' Donuts and a man walked in. I really didn't get a good look at him, but by the time he had gotten his coffee and started back to the door, I saw his face. And there was nothing wrong with his face. I just remember thinking, I know that guy, but how? I wanted to run up to the guy and ask him, hey, how do I know you? But then it hit me. His face was so, so similar to the face of the cadaver I was working with in anatomy lab. This episode is about the emotions we feel as they relate to human dissection. My experience in that Dunkin' Donuts made me ask myself hard but necessary questions. Like, how can you be clinical when you need to be and still feel like a human being when you go home from work? Put another way, how do you balance being both clinical and compassionate when you're treating patients? Before I say anything else, welcome to Firsts. My name is Tino Della Merced, now a second year med student, and Firsts is a podcast about first-time medical experiences. But it's also about navigating cloudier waters, the social and emotional parts of medicine. In episodes to come, we'll be looking at topics like community, food security, and failure. But in today's episode, First Teachers, we're going to be talking about the anatomy lab. You know, dissecting your first cadaver. Today, we have three guests. Ariana and Emily are first. Now, they're second year med students, but at the time of their interviews, they were first years. They're gonna be talking about overcoming their emotional challenges that they faced in the anatomy lab. Then we're gonna hear from the anatomy course director at the Yale School of Medicine, Dr. Larry Rizzolo. I first read about him in an article in The Atlantic. He's been advocating for teaching more humanistic kinds of lessons in the anatomy lab. But first, here's me asking Ariana, what can make lab so difficult? I mean, I came into anatomy with like um, a very recent experience with death. It was like a mentor of mine from my synagogue growing up. But it was the first time as an adult that I had experienced a passing. The only other, you know, uh, death that I had like experienced in a way that I would have taken part in those sorts of ceremonies was when I was 12. I asked Ariana if she could describe some of the different traditions she was a part of. Yeah, I mean, like, so I'm Jewish, and in the Jewish religion, like, you, you bury a body within the earth, you bury it in a Jewish cemetery where you're never walking over the body, um, you have very specific prayers that you say while you shovel part of the earth over their body. And, and different religions have different um, ways of dealing with it, but the, it's, you know, there's like a series of steps that you're supposed to do, and this was just like completely opposite of something that I was so familiar with. So Ariana went from grieving a loved one to jumping into human dissection. So I asked her, how did that kind of dissonance affect your headspace after lab started? I mean, it, it wasn't my loved one, but it felt like I was doing something that I shouldn't be doing with someone else's loved one, which I'm sure is like, regardless of someone's recent experience or not, like I'm sure everyone had a feeling of that. So during the first couple weeks of lab, you learn a few things about your donor. 
how old they were, what job they had, and what they died of. When Ariana stepped into the lab for her first dissection, she would quickly find out that the cadaver she was working with died at a similar age and of a similar cause to her loved one. I mean, I think the hardest part is like when you can relate it to something that you know. You know, if you see something completely foreign, I don't think that's what like gets a, a reaction out of anyone. I think it's when you see something that in some way re- relates to something that like you know or something that's personal to you, but looks a way that it should not. Despite the challenge of having an almost continuous reminder of her loss, Ariana improved in her performance in anatomy. I remember talking to someone at the end of the very last lab that we had, and he was like feeling very weird about it, about it being over, and we had spent so much time with this with this body, and then we were just like very abruptly done. And I remember feeling like I just got the hang of it. Like I feel like I just like best understood how I'm supposed to learn from this, um, and like what it is that I'm supposed to be doing to respect this person's wish. And then it was over. Ariana told me that it was hard to broach this emotional topic with anyone. She didn't want to drag down her lab teammates. The people she lived with seemed fine. And it was difficult to try to relate the experience to family and friends who never had done anatomy before. If we somehow had an a space where people were not only like able to but like willing to tell each other why they were nervous or why they might not be nervous or you know however they were feeling i think that could have been a lot uh, more helpful the very first time that i listened to myself talking about that experience i had in a dunkin donuts was during a reflection session three months later. It was an experience that just kind of sat in the back of my mind, and I avoided for a long time paying any attention to it. Putting off processing that experience was not helping me cope, and all I really needed to do was tell someone about it. That was the insight that Ariana provided at the end of our conversation. Once she could share her experience with her peers, she could focus more on the academic side of anatomy. In the end, Ariana could see the cadaver as a gift for her education, rather than as a reminder of her loved one's passing. Now we're going to get a brief blip into another first year's anatomy experience. Here's our next guest. So I'm Emily, uh, Jay Marina. Calling myself a second year medical student feels a little weird at this point, but I just finished my first year. Emily was one of the four other people in my dissection group, and I did not know this at the time, but she was grappling with the question, how does empathy fit in a place full of the dead? In the same way that when you walk into an exam room to like talk to a patient, like I would want you to be trying to sort of dial back in the timeline. What, what's been going on before this, before whatever is in front of you? I just want to know, you know, like what's your deal? Like, let's talk about it. And 
that may have been sort of bleeding into how I was approaching anatomy. Medical students get a good amount of teaching on showing empathy to patients. So it's not surprising that this question of where empathy fits into the anatomy picture is being asked. I almost think that this sort of question is as important as some of the academic material. But let me get back to Emily. She's a future doctor. She's focused and motivated to learn human anatomy. But I wanted to be really thinking about the fact that they were a person that was alive. And I also, for some reason, I'm going to be pushing myself to think about what their life was like this whole time. I think that made it harder to then make those like first cuts. So I think we've stumbled onto something, a limitation of empathy. When it comes to anatomy, seeing the body as a fellow human being can actually make the experience a lot more distressing. Emily was making that effort to wonder, what did the donor do at their job? Okay, how might they have walked around the office? How was blood flowing from their heart to their arteries to their veins? And then I think that just sort of felt less and less necessary or less and less good. Um, or it didn't feel like it was something that was helping me process. So I sort of stopped doing it. The most tangled up and complicated and interesting part of anatomy is seeing these dissections as a human-to-human -human experience. Emily wanted to see the humanness of the body, but in Ariana's case, that humanness reminded her of someone she loved. And in my case, it was the face of a stranger that reminded me that this body was not just an educational tool. I think these stories help explain why the most human qualities of a cadaver are the ones that can be the most discomforting. Today's last guest, Dr. Larry Rizzolo, teaches anatomy at the Yale School of Medicine. When I called him on the phone, we started talking about what the first day of anatomy looks like in his lab. We asked them to uh, make a drawing and note any uh, notable features, scars, birthmarks, uh, uh, evidence of a surgery, let's say. The purpose of the drawing is uh, more to, to get them to look critically at the body for the first time rather than say, oh, here's a body and okay, uh, time to go home and uh, reflect about that. So, so that's just the method we've, we've kind of to get students to introduce. They look, they touch, uh, no cutting. Students come to lab somewhere between nervous and excited, but taking the first day just to draw means students don't have to make any cuts. They don't have to touch the cadaver and they don't even have to use any words to express what they're seeing for the first time. I mean, some students are cool with it, and other students have a hard time. Uh, and, and we find that doing the first day, just talking about the, uh, what does it feel like to do a dissection? Uh, it gives students a chance to process a little bit the experience. For a lot of people, they never saw a dead body before. So were you always someone who found anatomy cool and interesting, or was anatomy ever difficult for you? 
I thought the section was pretty cool uh, and, and just fascinating and intellectually fascinating the whole bit uh, until we did the pelvis and in that style of dissection uh, we uh, disarticulated the pelvis um, by cutting through the uh, pubic symphysis. This looks so um, struck me as uh, sacrilegious in some way uh, disfiguring and totally um, unnatural looking, something you should see in a horror house. And other people said, well, you know, why are you having this reaction? And I said, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, emotions are, you know, they just are. They're not good. They're not bad. They just are. And why one thing is a trigger and another thing is not, you know, you can't say from person to person. What is one, I guess, positive way that you have seen your students express their anatomy experience. Students uh, do uh, artwork and contribute it to the lab, and our hallway is kind of a, uh, a, a gallery of student artwork. And hands are very often uh, a subject uh, in prose and poetry and artwork. And, you know, when you think about it, uh, hands make us human. And uh, uh, for a lot of students, that's a very emotional thing. For others, it's uh, uh, dissecting the head, you know, because that's the other part of people that you see all the time is the face. For different students, it's a different thing that triggers um, some emotional response, but they're probably having an emotional response to all of it. So Dr. Rizzolo and I got to talking about having spaces where people can reflect. He mentioned an essay by Dr. Jerome Lowenstein, who described a bygone space for group reflection. All the medical students and residents uh, that were on call um, at midnight would go to the cafeteria and they'd eat all the leftover food. And it was a time where, you know, rank and seniority fell apart and uh, people just talked about whatever. Latest movies to uh, one of my patients died. And, and it was a a place of sharing uh, emotions and, and preserving the emotional health of, of uh, uh, a kind of support group. But the way the hospital is organized now, um, people don't have that. So, so he wrote this book, uh, you know, maybe 10 or 15 years ago, and said, you know, we don't have that anymore. How do how do we replace that? How do we put that back into our uh, curriculum? And uh, and that was a lot of the that kind of thinking was a lot of the motivation over the last 15 uh, years, maybe 20 years of uh, uh, trying to do things for the residents and the medical students that gave them a way to share um, what's going on in their heads. Making this episode has made me realize that Anatomy Lab is a tremendous opportunity for students to develop professional competencies like self-reflection, and emotional management. My thought was, you know, we anatomists uh, avoid this problem, uh, and we shouldn't. You know, we, we should uh, we should be initiating this kind of uh, uh, pausing in the day, even when we try to teach you, you know, how much stuff do we try to cram down your throat for goodness sake, and then don't give you enough time to think about it, and, and we're cramming more stuff down. You know, I had a, a friend tell me that, you know, college was the place where I learned how to think. 
in medical school, there was no time to think. And, and it was just memorizing all this stuff. And I said, you know, I told him what I do. And he said, well, that's fabulous. And he said, so uh, is, it, is it any different? And I said, yeah, at day's end, it's probably not. I mean, we're trying hard. But, you know, when we make some inroads, uh, they compress the curriculum even more. So I think your project's very interesting in this regard because it, it stops you to think about these things. And uh, and I'm sure it'll be wonderful. People will uh, uh, be affected by it. But no one will profit from it as much as you will. That last comment from Dr. Rizzolo is just extra self-referential. It's almost like a reflection about the reflections I've had on reflection. Regardless, he has helped me make sense of where we can go from here. When we give students like Ariana and Emily and me opportunities to reflect, good things happen. We better understand how our experiences affect our well-being we can learn to manage emotions, and we also start to see how values like respect and compassion fit into clinical settings. And for me, that's the big clinical correlation, the windows that we've received into people's anatomy experiences remind me of the balancing act that medical professionals perform every day. They have to balance their values of compassion and dignity with being objective and emotionally detached. Learning that balancing act, I think, starts in anatomy. I am indebted to Ariana, Emily, and Dr. Rizzolo for their interviews. Thank you as well to my mentors, Drs. Roth and Schrader. Thank you also to Christine, Craig, Anna, and Joseph for their insights. Music is from Blue Dot Sessions. If you've listened to the end of this first episode, thank you for joining me. If you liked it, please follow or subscribe to the podcast on Spotify or iTunes. Next episode is about how music heals and brings healers together. I'm Tino Del Merced. You've been listening to Firsts.